Curry. Don't foul him as Curry fires a three. He missed it. Loose ball tip. Grabbed by Spades. Spades fires. And this one is over. Believe it, Cleveland. Savor it. Soak it in. The kid from Akron has come home. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. And the impossible dream has come true. That's actually the first time I've heard that, and I'm not here to beat up on the Cavs radio network, but I thought that was kind of weak. Yeah, you know, it's, what struck me about it was, A, how, well, I mean, it was in Golden State, so I guess you're not going to expect a lot of reaction, but you just get no crowd reaction. And it's too wordy. It's a little wordy, doesn't let the moment play out, but again, I don't know how much you, the moment would play out in your way building. I like the TV call better. Uh, while we're here... We are. Which means I'm a dad. Yeah, happy Father's Day. Yeah, same to you. So that happened on... uh, We were going to do a show last week, and it had gotten really to the point where I didn't want to say, all right, to guest A, let's talk at Tuesday at 9 o'clock, and then me have to cancel on them because we were in labor or something. Sure. So we decided not to do one. I guess, is it two full weeks since we've done one? I'd have to look. That feels right. Yeah, I think we've had two weeks off. I know the last one we had uh, Catherine Perlman and Grant Wall to talk about the soccer. And uh, we're back. It's Season 6, Episode 17. It's June 21st, 2016. I don't know how much of the story we really need to go into. It was a pretty basic thing. Uh, Tammy came home. She said she felt like she was going to go into labor. We timed a contraction. It was already under five minutes. We went to the doctor. She had her epidural. Time passed. Then we pushed. Then there was a baby. Perfect. You know, it was a pretty routine thing. At 12 hours door to door. You know, from the time she got home to the time the baby came out. Yeah, that's good. So it's a girl. I think we already had said that. I think so, yeah. Her name is Paula. I named her after my grandmother. And... um Top grandmother in the power rankings, right? When we did that? Yeah, she ago? was number one in the power rankings. That's right. Uh, you know, so far so good. She's only, you know, she hasn't even been home. Obviously, not even a week old yet. Uh, but last night she slept six hours. So yeah, that's pretty that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, but nobody really cares about most of this. But I figured <laughs> I would mention some of it. Uh, it is season six, episode seventeen. Did I say this already? June twenty first. I don't know. Ish. It's going to be kind of a weird week the way this show is going to be pieced together. Uh-huh. And it'll be like this a lot this summer because with uh, Molly playing soccer and all the different things that go on in the summer, we probably won't have a real specific day that Don and I will record necessarily. Right. <clears throat> um, but one thing that will happen in the summer is interviews are going to end up piling up a little bit. Because a lot of what we do in the summer isn't as time sensitive. Sure. You know, so by the end of this week, I might have five interviews recorded. Okay. So it will be more after this week. There'll probably be more weeks where we'll record and the podcast will go up. But this week, we're recording on Tuesday. 
a ton of shit is going to happen uh, in regards to what we talk about in three things. I'll update it on Thursday. The interviews will happen between now and then, and it'll go up Thursday night, Friday morning. So one thing I can say for sure is Taz Mellis is on the show today. He's going to help us put everything that happened with the Cavaliers into perspective. We'll talk about it in three things a little bit, but I don't think we have the basketball knowledge to really properly kind of think about what happened and put it into perspective. Sure. I really wanted to talk to Jack McCollum just because he's been, you know, doing basketball for over 50 years, Uh, but he's out of town watching his grandkids. (laughs) Um, And that's nothing against Tass, obviously. He's a top top guy uh, for us with basketball. Uh, but I just thought it might be a good time to, to speak to an old-timer. And that's an interesting thing, too, because when you think of SI and basketball writers, you really think of two guys. You think of Jack McCollum and you think of Frank DeFord. We were lucky enough a few years ago to have Frank DeFord on when he wrote his last book. Um, and we'll talk about this more in the book club, but Frank DeFord has a new book, and we're going to get to have him again. Sweet. So I'm excited about that. We'll talk more about that in the book club. Um, all right. So we know Taz Mellis is going to be on. We got a bunch of news in the book club. We'll finish with one last thing. And there's a ton in three things. So we might as well start. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. Well, we're hockey guys, so let's start with the hockey. Okay. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins won a cup since we've been gone. They did. Very and they did it so. convincingly. Yep. yep. Uh, they were they were the best team in the league since probably around January. You know, and I remember saying something uh, to my brother when Crosby didn't get invited to the All-Star game. And the reality is that Sidney Crosby doesn't care about actually going to the All-Star game. Right. But there was almost like a point. It almost seemed like people wanted to make the point that he didn't make it because he wasn't an All-Star kind of a thing. You know, and I just know a guy like that. That just, just... He didn't get voted in either. Yeah, he didn't get voted in. He didn't get picked by the coaches. Yeah. Um, Ovechkin bailed. He didn't get added. Although that might have been an even bigger slap in the face to do it to him then. But really, since that point, they were the best team in the league. He was right there with Patrick Kane in points from that point on in the season. Uh, and he really had a fantastic playoffs. Um... And we'll get into the Conn Smythe because I know you don't think he deserved it. I do. So we can get into that. Do you want to say anything about the Sharks uh, at all before we kind of... They're in a tough spot. I know they said afterward that they're gonna, they'll are gonna, they be back. I doubt uh, it. They're tough. I mean, they're a team with the window closing, not opening. So, I mean, Brent Burns had an unbelievable year, but he's 31, 32 years old. So, I mean, he kind of is a little bit of a late bloomer. I mean, he's always been good, but just... That season. They felt like one of those teams that won their cup by getting to the cup. I think if they ever got there again, I think you'd see a better effort out of them. Yeah, that's 
that's fine, but usually you see that with like a team, maybe like Pittsburgh the first time around. But the thing like that makes this team and... unique is they had two guys, two of the top four guys of all time with games played and not being in a cup, in Marlowe yeah. and Thornton. Yeah, you know they had that feel of a team that needed to get to a cup. You know, needed to get over the LA hump and those kind of things. It's different than like a young, eager team that overachieved. It was more like an old team that had finally fulfilled their promise. Yeah, that that, that whole series is weird. I mean, I was kind of pulling for the Sharks, but... They got a great goaltender. Yeah, they do. He's going to be a good one for a long time. But I mean, as like a casual... I mean, if I was a big fan of the Sharks, maybe you'd talk yourself into like that being closer than it was, but it was never that close. It wasn't. Even for a six-game series, it just was never close. And it bombed nationally. I mean, it was a dog in the ratings. Well, it wasn't really good hockey. I mean, you'd expect Pittsburgh dominated and the goalies played well. So it's not like there was no action, but you'd well, expect... Murray with... played pretty average, I thought. Yeah. I think he's the only reason that San Jose even won a game. His numbers were really good. They were just as good as Jones's, but I do agree Like the, the eyeball test has to play into it a little bit. and Because uh... shots, especially with shots, I mean, when you're watching a seven-game series, I mean, I remember the one game I mean, the one game that they won, Game 5, I mean, he had let in two goals in the first five shots. Right. And, I mean, you know, that's going to hurt your team's chances to win. Yeah. I don't care if you make 17 out of 17 after that. You've already put your team in a hole. You know, and he let in soft goals. Right. You know, it wasn't even necessarily he let in too many because there wasn't a lot of goals scored. And Pittsburgh blocks a million shots. Right. Uh, And I think that... (laughs) I think that, and I think it was Dan Bilesma that said it. He said something like, a coach has never been fired for giving up zero goals, something like that. And that's that's a problem that hockey has. I mean, hockey's got to see that they have a problem. And I love hockey, but that wasn't an overly entertaining series. It wasn't. And I think that's where the idea that someone like Sidney Crosby could be and should have been the con Smythe. I'll make my argument, and then you can counter it. There wasn't, first of all, there wasn't a runaway winner in terms of like, you know, they didn't have the leading score in the playoffs. You know, their leading score was Kessel, who had only two more points than Crosby. Right. You know, you're not going to say that, you know, there was this guy, this huge goal-scoring force who deserved it. Um, and you really seen the maturity in the two-way game that Crosby played. Uh, the big face-offs he won. Uh, the play away from the puck. Uh, the way he would dominate with the puck in his on his stick, so many of their possession numbers I think were hugely dependent on the way Crosby would win draws, command the puck, demand the puck, make plays. He had a bunch of assists in the Cup final, I think six. They were all primary assists, and in a six-game series with not many goals, that's a ton. And I would have never given it to Murray because I mean you're giving it to that means you're giving it to a guy who got pulled from a finals game, you know. Uh, sure. Just he just he had it. Murray might have been the lead, you know he got pulled in the conference finals. He got pulled in the finals. I guess it depends they had to go on, to a different goalie in the conference finals. Right. I guess it depends on what makes someone the most valuable. Like it's the most valuable to your team because they would have had to play. I mean they they played three goals. They would have had to play what a guy they already won a cup with. Well, didn't they, who, you was the other, who was the other kid? Well, that was a guy that was playing because Marc-Andre Fleury was, was hurt. hurt. Okay. So that was their third-string goalie who had to play that first game. 
So I don't think you're going to overwhelm me with the with the argument that well they would have had to play that goalie that they won that other cup with, right? You know, because that just doesn't feel like that much of a drop off. Um, so I would have wouldn't have given it to him. I could have easily you could have easily given it to Kessel. Yep. I think his line was the best line. If you get if you were ever going to give it to a line, that would have been, you know, like if it's a line award, of course, sure, that right. line would have won. You know, and that line was so good that they kind of hurt each other in the sense that maybe their points were distributed uh, a bit more across the board. But I just think that there wasn't an obvious choice and there was a soup. There was their guy uh, doing the things that people criticized him in the past. You know, you didn't see him whining to officials. You seen him leading out there. You seen him winning draws. You seen him being real, getting in real dirty areas, winning battles, just all the, the the hockey writers vote on this, and they voted for him because he did the hockey things that hockey people see. Yeah, casual hockey fans, people who didn't play who didn't play the game. I'm not saying that you need to for a requirement, but people who've played, people who watch 200 games a year, Crosby was doing all the things away from the puck or with the puck that's championship hockey, and that's why I would have voted for him. Yeah, I probably would have voted for Kessel or Mark. Um, I'm gonna mess up his name, Martin Matt Jones. Mar- oh, you would have voted for the losing goalie. Yeah, I mean, oh, not good. No, not not close enough. You got to win at least three games for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was unbelievable. He was the only reason that even was a series. I think, if anything, he was hurt by the fact that San Jose was so good the rest of the playoffs. They didn't necessarily need him to steal anything. So, I mean, if it was a one round award, I think he was. Like certain hockey tournaments will do that, give out like the tournament player, or, like for the championship or whatever. Like he would have been, I think, the player of the finals. Maybe he wasn't great in the Nashville series, right? Um, and it is a uh, all playoffs award, right? And he wasn't great in that series, and he was he was very good in the cup, but he didn't. I don't know if he stole. You need to steal almost three and a half games to. To be a you know a, a Jaguar sure, type of winner, right. yeah. My you know. I don't necessarily have a problem with anything you said. My problem is like you hear the old school hockey guys that say like uh, they say a lot of things that are pretty generic. Like, oh, he lifted his team up. He uh, he was great in the room, or he motivated them to play differently. Like all these things that are intangible, and if like that's what you're gonna vote for. Like, you might as well just always give it to the captain of the team, like, no matter who it is. Because you don't know any – those guys aren't in the room either. They don't know anything about – I don't. Like well, but they are in the room every night. They well, do go down to the room every night. Yeah, but, I mean, they're not in And there they one. do talk to the other guys, and the other guys do talk about the other players and things like that. So that's not totally true that they're not in the room. They're not in the room when the door is closed, but they are, right. they are a lot more in the room than we are. And, I mean, he only beat Kessel by, I think, like two votes or something. So it's not like he ran away with it. So, I'm, I mean, I don't hate the decision. I just think that there were probably... I think you hated it. I think there were two or three guys I would have put in front of him. Yeah. I mean, I think they could have had... The only person I would have voted in front of him was Kessel. Yeah. I think it was a two-player two, two player race. If they're defensemen... Him and Kessel. I mean, I think... What's his name? Uh, if not for one or two sketchy Latang is games. who you're talking yeah, about? Letang. Yeah, Latang. He could have won it. And he, I am a Latang uh, kind of... Not hater. I don't... Really? See, I would have given it to Dowdy the year that Justin Williams won it, and Latang wasn't close to that level. I don't think. I mean, their their defense as a team was incredible. Their offense, they play really was good. good they play really good five 
five man defense. Yeah, so I mean, I yeah. guess again, that makes it hard to give it yeah. to five guys. But their they defense as a, a unit shots. was great. They blocked. I mean, that was the difference. That I'll, one San Jose pair was a nightmare too. Whew. Pollock and uh, who was his partner? Dylan, maybe they were awful. Yeah, they really hurt them. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I. Like you said, it's hard to argue too hard for anybody because there nobody just wasn't was the runaway. a runaway winner. Right, it was going to be a split vote. There was no unanimous guy, and Murray probably could have won it, but he kind of faded as the playoffs went on. Kind of took him out of it, and I think the line aspect of Kessel maybe hurt him a little bit. You know, because he sure you know. Kessel, if 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 they would have said Kessel won, I would be like, oh, great, good for him. Yeah, I mean, Kessel had the most points on the and winning what an, team. What an embarrassment for USA Hockey for him to not be on the World Cup team after that what run. An absolute joke. Who? I mean, I'm sure they don't say who he was scratched for, but like, who was the whatever the 18th guy that he's well? I well, no, the, because Team USA, you have to remember, this has always been their mo since probably '96, where they pick teams with a top six and a bottom six. Oh, right. So they just apparently didn't see him as one of the top six. And you're not going to play Phil Kessel on the fourth line checking. Sure. So um, Bobby Ryan was the guy that was cut from the Olympic team la- a couple of years ago, right? Cut? I mean, well, not cut, but just like, not selected. Didn't he not get selected? Yeah. And they couldn't score any goals. And it's like, hey, maybe you could use a goal score yeah you know canada did this for a while too and then finally they're like enough in the world juniors they, they had been doing that and they're like we're just bringing every top score player and then they won it you know last year with mcdavid um which maybe you could say it was more about it being the year that mcdavid was obviously winning the world juniors no matter what uh but that's a debated hockey philosophy do you go with a top six bottom six or you just bring the 12 best damn forwards you have and try to win that way so but yeah i mean big picture um it's hard to say if it was boring because pittsburgh was dominant or because like blocking shots is boring you know what i mean like san jose uh the ref swallowing the whistles do- doesn't help san jose but they were never better in that series i mean but the I mean, roughing needs to be better in general just call penalties again like you did in 2006 the game was so much better yep i don't know why we drifted away from that. It's it's awful development. Uh, the draft is here this week. Uh, the draft is Friday. Uh, starts Friday, I guess. Okay. Um, and it's in Buffalo. So I guess that'll be exciting for the 4,000 people who got tickets <laughs> right. or whatever. Yeah, they're like 200 bucks in StubHub right now, I guess. So. Uh, and that's just because they're trying to take advantage of Maple Leaf fans, yep. you know. No one from Buffalo is buying a two hundred dollar ticket to see the Sabres pick eighth. It's or to trade down for yeah. two picks or something. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. You know the, the the party line is usually that the home team steals the show somehow. You know, so we'll see if that's the case with Buffalo this year. There's going to be a ton of moves. There's going to be trades. There's going to be all kinds of stuff, and I look forward to talking about it next week. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can go into in the draft. Obviously, Austin Matthews is going to be the first pick. Yeah, and uh, the the two fins will be next, and I would guess that Matthew Tuchuk will be fourth. Um, so that's uh, I'd almost take that to the bank. Uh, that there's a chance maybe Tuchuk could slide up to three if there's a team who's just in love with the kid, but I doubt it. Uh, so 
that's that. Before the draft, though, are the awards in Vegas. Who has four? That's Edmonton this year, right? Yes. So there's a lot of rumors that they're going to move that because... They could, yes. Uh, The awards are in Vegas, which should also mean the official announcement of the expansion team in Las Vegas. So there will be a ton of NHL stuff to talk about. Real quick, is Pat Kane going to win the MVP? Are they going to somehow hold a failed rape investigation against him? Well, if it's not him, who is it? Crosby? I mean, yes, I would assume he made it close. I mean, the votes are in. Remember before the playoffs. Oh, right. But still, there could be a little recent. I mean, Crosby's was better down the stretch, and Kane faded a little bit down. Very, very. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, but he still is. I imagine almost twenty points. It should be Kane. Uh, So we'll talk more about the awards. Is there any other ones you want to guess? I think that's the most intriguing one. Will they somehow, for some reason, not give it to Kane? Not give it to Kane, who is the obvious winner of it. I doubt it. It should be a great night for him, uh, and we'll have a ton of hockey stuff to get to next week because there'll be trades and all that. And there's already been, already been two. As far as expansions, I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. You might not know. They're going to only expand one team, so going to for one. now. I mean, it's going to have to be a Western Conference, which makes sense. They're yep. in Las Vegas. So yep. The other team. Is going to have to. They want it to be Seattle. Oh, okay, that'd be cool. But Seattle has a very dysfunctional political system that is stalling every attempt to build a playable arena. I know. I asked if they would have done this five years ago, it would have been Quebec. But I think they're very nervous about the dollar situation. Oh, right. Which is what ruined that team the first time around. So I know the last time, or. Probably a few times ago, I think it was Wyshynski that was on. I asked him, whatever happened to Portland? Like when the Sabres were in trouble, that's all you heard about is they're moving to Portland. I assume, is that Portland, Maine, or Oregon? No, definitely that? Oregon. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. So Portland, a, Maine, not an NHL market. There would be another NHL or a Western team. Yeah, I think Seattle add. is the the dream. I think that's what the league wants to happen. That would be cool. Do they not have the arena from the basketball team still? The key arena is... And apps not not playable. Oh, I don't no? think. No. Okay. That was not a that was not a modern arena when the Sonics left, Lots and that it. was almost ten years ago now or whatever. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, let's move on to the NBA. The Cleveland Cavaliers won an absolutely unbelievable Game Seven. It's maybe the best basketball game I've ever watched. I mean, you couldn't ask for a more exciting Game Seven. So I'm assuming you saw zero seconds of it. Yeah, pretty much zero seconds. Uh, it was unbelievable. Um, it was really weird. The last maybe five minutes of the game, it seemed like no points were scored. It was a low-scoring game in general. There was, uh, I think, two minutes without where it was tied at 89-89 or really? whatever the score was before Kyrie Irving hit the game-winning three. I saw a stat that said they won only hitting six threes all game, which, very low. which is very low, especially considering how Golden State usually wins. And there was a few times in both directions where it looked like one or the other teams were maybe in a dire position. You know, where it was like one or two possessions away from getting away from Golden State or one or two possessions from Golden State just pulling away from Cleveland. And it just never happened. And Kyrie Irving hit a big three. And LeBron James had the best shot block I've ever seen. I'm not bringing... Anything unique to the table here, but it was a two-on-one fast break, and LeBron James came out of I don't even know where 
to get the cleanest, purest block I've almost ever seen in a basketball game. Yeah, I saw that. It was unbelievable. All over Facebook uh, when I was looking later on. And the other thing, you're talking about like how we don't have the basketball minds to determine certain things. I did see a lot of, like, is LeBron James the best ever? Like, after that you got to think about him now. Yeah. He's played in six straight finals, which is unbelievable in itself. Right. He's won three of them. He scored 40-plus in Game 5, 40-plus in Game 6, and a triple-double in Game 7 to get his team back from 3-1 to one down against a 73-win team, including two of those wins on the road against that same 73-win team who had only lost two times at home all year. I mean, the fact that they were able to come back yeah. from 3-1 to one, it didn't shock me that Golden State came back from 3-1 to one against Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. City yeah. But if you would have told me after game four that Cleveland was going to come back, I might have said you're crazy. And, it, you know, stuff happened. Draymond Green got suspended, and that may have been enough to help Cleveland that changed the momentum a little bit, and maybe that's why Cleveland's able to win game five. The interesting thing about this series, too, is like hockey, it wasn't a good series. Like, even well, the though games, they came back, the first six none of games the games were competitive. Great, right. The series was compelling. Be- just right, that the six series. games weren't that right. good. And then they had an epic seventh game. Sure, I heard somewhere that it was like the largest margins of victory. Yeah, they had six pretty uncompelling basketball games. Right, it's weird. Uh, five really uncompelling, one so-so, and then one epic. Right. And the epic happened to be game seven. And, you know, I was rooting for Cleveland. Why not? Yeah. Rust Belt Brothers. Sure. You know, good for them. I'm glad they got to win. Uh, I was really happy for them. Do you pull for the Cubs? for the? I sure. Mean, not, not Rust Belt, but I kind of do, yeah. too. Just like, I don't know. I think some people think, like, oh, you're in Buffalo. You don't. They've earned it. Misery Those loves company. Sure. Yeah, no. No, I'm like, yeah, let them win one. So now Buffalo is the city with the most combined professional sports seasons without a championship. Okay. It's 104 seasons, which is the most. Of the big four sports. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we hold that distinction. Because I saw some other one that said, like, like we weren't the top of the list of professional sports, but they must have been taking into account, like, professional, like, uh, like the Bisons or something. Yeah, or you add in the WNBA. Or, or the Bandits. Or, right. But of the four, yeah, well, and the Bandits have won a few. Yeah. Uh, of the four, uh, I guess, major sports as we've come to know them in our lifetime, uh, 104 seasons without a championship, and that's number one. And I think the Cubs, obviously, are still the team that has played the most seasons sure. without a championship. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, the NBA draft will happen uh, here this week. Uh, we'll talk uh, more with Tass about that. It'll be fun when they trade players I it's this week. for nothing but money. That's always interesting. Hockey, I can't wait till hockey gets to that point. You know, I'm really ex- – I am interested in the NBA draft this year just because I'm curious to see what happens with Buddy Hield. I don't know who that is. Oklahoma he was the kid? Oklahoma star, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, who we've talked about 300 times on the show. <laughs> okay. So I would understand why you wouldn't know who he is. No, the draft is the 23rd, the NBA draft. So that is this week. Yep. So um, we'll talk more about that next week as well. And we'll talk about all this stuff with tasks later. And like you mentioned about LeBron, is is he the best ever? Where does he fit? We're gonna we need some historical perspective there. Sure. So we'll we'll get more of that uh, with Tess. Uh, third thing, and I want to talk about it a little bit because I've absolutely loved it. Are these two soccer tournaments? 
Uh, they've been awesome. The first, we'll start with the Copa, which is in the United States, and they're down to four teams. Uh, and tonight, Tuesday, uh, the U.S. will try to beat the favorites, Argentina and Lionel Messi. Who have you seen any of Messi in this tournament? No. Okay, so he came into the tournament hurt. Okay. And he didn't play at all the first game. So they sub him in the second game to get him a little work with, say, 35 minutes or so left in the second half. Hat trick. <laughs> so then he plays a little bit in the third game, and he got a goal there as well. Um, uh, he's just a oh, he's a stud. I think he scored in the quarters. Uh, so, just, so you've been found like what hap- I, I, I watch every day. I watch like all of the first game of Team USA, and it just looked like okay, this is gonna be a long. They're gonna be they just gonna be done. They didn't, you know they got they lost the first. They got scored on first, and then they had a bad, unfortunate handball. Right, and when it's two nothing in soccer, you but it didn't ever look close. Even like they didn't they have many just, opportunities. They were never really or, in a position to force the issue. But they've been obviously much better than they've been okay. Okay. I mean, I don't think they have, I don't people? think they have any chance to to beat Argentina. Argentina. I mean, and and I'll own up to it if I'm wrong when we, I do the book club on Thursday cuz that game's tonight, but I well, be, I don't think that, I, I imagine most people are with you on that one. I'll be shocked if they they beat Ar- Argentina. It would be great. It would be almost the best thing that could ever happen for US soccer for the men to play in a major final one year after the women did. Sure. You know, to have that back-to-back summers. Uh, but I don't see it happening. Another really cool thing that happened in this tournament is Mexico went out in an absolute blaze of glory, losing seven rip to Chile. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. So that was that was no good. So Chile will play Colombia, who was the U.S.'s uh, nemesis in the first game there. So that's down to four. U.S. and Argentina and Chile – who's the defending champs. They won it last year. Remember this tournament's being played in back-to-back years because they're celebrating 100 years this year of it, which is why there's a second. There's one so quickly, Uh, but Chile won it last year. Uh, They'll play a guy named James Rodriguez. Who's not called James. They call him like Hamas or something like that. Sure. And it, and uh, just to me, it's just like, well, his name is James. (laughs) So he's a he's a stud for for Colombia. If you remember him from the World Cup, he like scored in every game. Oh yeah, he's just like was the scoring machine. But I guess he didn't have a great year this year for his club. Uh, but he's been good for Colombia in this tournament. Who was the team that you, when we talked about it last? Uh, you said was not sending their good players. Was that Brazil? Brazil, and they looked like they didn't they didn't send. get to the knockouts. So uh, Neymar didn't. Didn't get there, didn't come, and they immediately made a coaching change, too, when they got home. So that didn't go over well, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then the other tournament is the Euro, which I have you know, a special interest in because I'm a huge Italy soccer fan. And there's almost no team as dangerous as an Italian soccer team that people don't think is good. Okay. Like, if Italy is going to compete and maybe win a tournament... They have to be considered a team that's not very good. Okay. Uh, and they started the tournament beating Belgium, who was essentially the favorite. They spent like seven months this year as the number one team in FIFA's rankings. They beat them 2 nothing in one of the better played Italian soccer games I've ever watched. And they followed that up 
and got a win in the second game. And they've already won their group, so tomorrow they'll play a meaningless game against Ireland, uh, and they'll get to uh, to to the next to the knockout stages in that. Uh, France will be in the knockout stage. It's it's all the big clubs in Europe are going to make this a really compelling uh, knockout stage uh, going forward because all the big names are there. There's no Brazils losing early in that tournament. Sure, right. I mean, you got England, you got. Germany, you got France, you got Italy, you know, you name a soccer power in Europe, and they're probably going to the knockout stage in this tournament. So, and where where would that rank? If the World Cup is the number one tournament, what's what's the next? Well, if you're in Europe, this is number two. This is number two. Yeah. Okay. You know, so certainly the second biggest tournament if you're European. Sure. I'm sure Brazil doesn't think it's the second okay. most important tournament, but uh, the Europeans do. So that's where all that stands. And again, it's Tuesday. So some of the stuff that we speculated on will happen, and after we have our first interview, which will be Tass, uh, I'll come back, update the book club. We got to talk about Frank DeFord and Steve Hyden's book and that, and I'll kind of update what has happened and talk about how smart or more <laughs> probably not smart we were. Uh, and then we'll have a second interview, uh, which is still... Uh, what do we TBA. call it? Yeah. Fluid situation. A fluid situation. Uh, and then we will finish with uh, one last thing. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's a red. All right, our next guest is from Toronto. He is the co-founder and co-host of what was once the Basketball Jones podcast and has evolved into the starters, which airs on the NBA Network. And of course, you can get on iTunes. He's making his eighth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Tass Mellis. What's up, Tass? Not much, Steve. How you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm still trying to some degree, trying to put into perspective, I think, the NBA Finals a little bit. Because, you know, I'm a casual NBA fan. I'm not growing up in Buffalo. You know, the NBA is certainly uh, probably the fourth biggest sport here. But even if it was the 30th biggest sport, I think it kind of stopped everyone in their tracks a little bit on Sunday. And it was such a breathtaking game. Um, before we get to the game itself, you've had a few days now. Right now, when I say look back on the NBA Finals and 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 kind of what do you, what do you feel like you witnessed? Like what jumps out in your head uh, after having a few days to digest it a little bit? Well, the huge turning point um, was after Game Four. Uh, and the Warriors went up 3-1, and LeBron James and Kyrie Irving didn't have a great fourth quarter um, where they basically took almost every shot of the second half. Uh, I, I think they took 33, and the rest of the team took five total or something uh, like that. And, uh, you know, they're playing a lot of isolation ball, and 
Um, I say that in a bad way. It's also a good thing because that's how they score points. Um, so that's how they won their championship, but everybody was sort of ragging on them for playing isolation ball at that point. And at the same time, there was the Draymond Green right. suspension uh, scenario there that, that really pushed LeBron James to the edge. And I call it the turning point because I, I think it was in a good way. Dr- Draymond Green's suspension was basically the downfall of the Warriors and also uh, where the Cavs took off from because it was that point where LeBron James' back was a push against the wall. You know, a lot of things were questioned about him, his his masculinity, his machoism, and, and like like we like to say in the uh, in the sports world, and that's when he appeared. I mean, that's when the forty-one point performance in Game Five appeared, followed by a Game Six performance, uh, forty-one points, and then uh, we saw Game Seven, and that's also when the Warriors sort of fell apart. Um, you know, they, when they didn't close it out at home in Game Five, something happened to Steph, uh, where you know he wasn't himself um and the and the Cavs really started to believe uh that they could win they started really really playing D about 30 feet out um beyond the three-point line and the Warriors weren't getting past that line into the paint like they have uh, not just because they're a three-point shooting team they just weren't back to what they were in the regular season Steph went from a guy who finished at the rim really really well that's where he improved as well as the three-point land and that was gone from game six and seven. So, uh, man, they didn't look like themselves whatsoever. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny that it came down to the wire. I mean, it's easy to forget that game seven really could have been won by Steph uh, if he was near himself. Um, but, you know, we kind of just think of, oh, LeBron just took it. But as you said, you know, we'll get to the game. But, man, if Steph was even, I don't know, 90% of himself, you know, he just he just wasn't uh, that same guy after Game Five when they didn't close it out. They were just such a masterful team at home, and I think that really took something out of them when they they didn't finish the job. Did you think the suspension was fair? Was it the right decision by the league? You know, I I think the kick to Stephen Adams was far more egregious than a guy reacting to someone stepping over him. I you know that's. That that little, um, I don't even know what you call it, a swipe with his arm after somebody walked over him, I thought it was a far more natural reaction than a kick. And the league decided that it was sort of a cumulative uh, effect here with Draymond Green. You right. know, it, mm-hmm. it was just based upon the kick and everything else going on with Draymond Green throughout the postseason. If it was an isolated incident, he wouldn't have been suspended. It was uh, due to the flagrant fouls accumulation of points there you have a point system for flagrant foul. he actually wasn't suspended a game he just uh surpassed the threshold of flagrant foul points which you know can be looked at i think uh because basically he was suspended for two months worth of actions uh, you know because the playoffs are that long and he right. he surpassed that that point threshold so that's something that should be looked at i mean what does it really matter what you were doing against the houston rockets seven weeks prior uh, to warrant a suspension in the NBA Finals, so I, I didn't really like the suspension. Um, but uh, you know, you know, with the rules as currently constructed, it, it sort of made sense because uh, Draymond Green had had just done so much, and uh, it killed his team. I mean, uh, if he's there in Game Five, you saw what he did in, in Game Seven. Um, just you know, I think emotionally for this team. But if he's there in Game Five, they probably don't lose their mojo um, the way that they did. Right. 
You know, I remember hearing uh, Steve Kerr saying uh, towards the end of the season that he kind of wanted to take his foot off the gas a little bit, that he thought it was time to sort of rein the team in and get ready for the playoffs. But he said the guys just wanted to go for 73 and and he could not allow them that opportunity, I guess. And I wonder if looking back now, you know, we're talking about Steph maybe not being himself. We're talking about, you know, shots not going down in that last game. Do you think that in retrospect, maybe going for 73 cost them ultimately? No, I don't think it cost them because they still play far less minutes than uh, most teams in the league. You know, they still roll 10, 11, 12 deep, uh, unlike the Cavs, you know, who rolled eight deep. Uh, that's that's who they were. Um, so I, I don't think the the minutes. Uh, I mean, emotionally, maybe there was a, they were drained. Uh, emotionally, maybe from coming back uh, from three one in the conference finals. Um, you know, maybe 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 there was a mental fatigue um, that that accumulated over you know the course of a six month season. And then, as I mentioned, uh, you know that that three one comeback against the Thunder and and plus the staff injuries. Uh, maybe there was a a mental fatigue um, and all the questions that came along with seventy three nine. But physically, I, I don't buy it. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't really compute to me. They didn't look. They don't look all that exhausted. Um, I just don't think that they're ready to play. And you got to remember, I know both teams are playing under the same rules, but there are days off in in the finals and the entire yeah, playoffs. So it's time. like, especially in the NBA finals. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, even even earlier, there's you know two days off when you travel. Um, there's 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 time to get it right. Um, but man, I, I, it, it's more. It was more physical. Uh, uh, physically that. They didn't look right, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't put that on seventy three nine. I just put that on something that we just can't explain in sport. That Steph Curry was not Stephen Curry. He just wasn't that guy, and he had the ability to win Game Seven if he was. And I'm sure that's how he looks at it too. Like he wasn't a hundred percent. Don't get me wrong. Um, he he admitted as much in a post game news conference, and then uh, in uh, their closing interviews the day after. But he wouldn't go as far to say that I, he was injured. But you know that right. that happened. You know during the postseason as well, and it also had nothing to do with seventy three and nine. It had to do with uh, sweat on the court, uh, donut sweat from Donatus Matayunis. We call him Donuts because uh, that's a fun nickname. And uh, and you know he got injured, and um, he definitely wasn't one hundred percent. But uh, he also couldn't take Kevin Love, you know, the, on the perimeter there with a minute left. Right. Like that's yeah. That's that's not Steph and that's not 73 and nine. That's just, um, you know, mentally not going for the right shot, which was a two point shot at the time. Cause Kevin Love was staying with them, uh, real tightly. And, uh, and you know, I guess, you know, the pressure got to them or, or, you know, something to that effect. Like there's just, just some things we can't explain. I mean, they really shouldn't have been in the finals. You know, if the thunder took care of business, uh, in game, game six, six, they kind of got yeah. lucky mm-hmm. with, the way the Thunder didn't close out uh, in that game, they were in the last few minutes of that game. They basically turned it over more than they they took shots, um, and it was just like hot potatoes, ugliness, and that you know that's I'm sure that's uh, still going through Russell Westbrook's mind and Kevin Durant's mind, and Steph will be thinking about that shot against uh, you know Kevin Love and forcing some shots that were um, 
you know, way off, which didn't look like stuff at all in Game 7. Well, you know, it's interesting because the first six games, I mean, there was the 30-point blowouts, you know, the, the lopsided games, and uh, then obviously things kind of change with the suspension, and uh, the Cavs get that take the momentum from the suspension or whatever, get 40 from LeBron, LeBron and win a game five that just felt like, just felt, it felt like, man, I just didn't think they were going to win that game at all. Then they go home yeah. and you, you kind of feel like, well, maybe this is uh this is a game they can win now. Uh, almost you expect them to win that one. Maybe it, it shifted a little bit, but then when it got to game seven and we can talk about game seven now, um, I don't think I knew. I don't think I knew what to expect, but what I thought was was that Golden State was going to make huge shots at the end, and it seemed like we got to the end, and it was eighty nine, eighty nine forever, whatever the exact score was, and nobody was making shots. It was almost like it was it was so weird how it just kind of culminated, and then as it, as it, as it was building, it, it kind of seemed like it stalled up until Kyrie made that huge shot. It was weird to watch. Yeah, sometimes game sevens in uh, in in the finals, especially or or in um, other series, they there aren't the sexiest of games. Uh, and you know, it was a great game in that the lead the lead changed so many times. But right. uh, you know, LeBron didn't play his best game. Kyrie didn't play his best game. Steph didn't play his best game. Clay didn't play his best game. But it was some mediocrity on the same level. You know, sometimes the, the pressure of a game seven, uh, you know, guys tighten up just a touch. And uh, when you're shooting a ball, uh, that is basically the difference between a ball going in and a ball uh, going out. So, yeah, it was, it was, the question was at the end of that game, who's going to take it? You know, who wants this? Uh, and, and guys, you know, guys wanted it, obviously, and we're playing um, maybe a little too much isolation. Um, and it worked for Kyrie when he banged home that three. That's all that shot was, was one on five. And uh, it was a really cool shot to, to see him pull up like that. Uh, and, and, you know, shut people up because all people did was ridicule them for playing isolation ball. As you mentioned, that 30-point blowout. Oh, this is what they're doing wrong. This is what they're doing wrong. And then that's how they won the series as well because they're that good. Um, that's all they really need to do. Um Sometimes those game sevens they can get uh, they can get clunky right at the end and uh, you know the Cavs when they were down three um, one and, and then they won that game five uh, they started to believe and uh, it really uh, got in the heads of the Warriors there and uh, I just I just don't think they were able to recover uh, enough to to really believe in themselves because you know that was for the fact that they're at home. In a game seven, what they played for all season long, as you said, it was 89, so it was the right score for several minutes. That that team couldn't bang home a couple shots was astonishing to yeah. me. Uh, they just totally lost themselves. They totally didn't believe it. They were sort of out of character. You know, I, I just, uh, I think after 3-1, you know, I mentioned Draymond Green was, uh, you know, suspended for that. And, and the Warriors basically thought it was done. In my opinion, you know, Clay was talking a little bit of junk, uh, was, which yeah. was out of character for him. Uh, I, I thought that the entire team just thought, okay, well, I mean, this is it. No one's ever come back from uh, 3-1 in an NBA Finals. We got this. And uh, to some degree that, you know, they, they were just kind of, uh, again, weren't, weren't, weren't themselves. And, um, you know, the, the talk as well was, 
this team always sort of painted themselves into a corner game after game after game, but were able to shoot themselves out of it. It's almost like they liked getting into holes or, uh, you know, like to sort of play with their opponent and then decide to turn it up at the end. And, uh, you know, this one, they kind of bit off a little bit more than they could chew uh, up against LeBron James, but it's like, you know, that was them. Like going into Game Seven, I would have I picked the Warriors because, as you just mentioned, obviously if there's if it's a close game at the end, uh, they're going to find a, a way to yeah. get some open shots. Yeah. And they didn't get open shots; they were contested, and uh, you know they didn't penetrate the defense like they should have. Uh, and there's just there's a big difference between you know teams. Everyone sort of thinks that the Warriors just walk up to the line and fire, but that's not how it works. You know, they pass it inside. Uh, they did miss Andrew Bogut, who was injured in Game 5 and didn't play the rest of the series. He gets the ball at the elbow generally. He's a 7-footer. He's not going to score, um, but he has these sort of handoffs where he looks left, he looks right. Steph is circling. Clay is circling. Um, and, and they find guys from inside out, which is a, a very different shot. You know, if you've ever shot a basketball, just walking up to a three-point line and firing is very different than getting a, a pass from a big man and being able to square up and fire and run an offense and guys touch it uh, a little bit more. So there was uh, less of that, um, you know, partly because of bogus injury, partly because they weren't playing the right way, and um, a little bit more of, uh, of hero ball, which people actually um, think they do a lot more often than they do. What was your live reaction to LeBron James's block? Do you remember what you thought when you... <laughs> I, I just thought, you know, holy bleep. Right, because I, mean, I didn't... There's nothing. I just thought it was a two-on-one. And then, it, to me, like, I didn't see him. I just didn't see him until his hand was on the ball. He made up yeah. an unbelievable amount of ground there. I mean, we'll talk a lot. And, and to be fair, it's not like nobody's talking about that block. But I think we, we tend to remember offense more, and we'll talk about Ky- yeah. Kyrie's uh, three-pointer forever. But I think that block was was equally as unbelievable in terms of its importance and I just I just didn't even see him coming. I, I can't I still can't believe it kind of. Like cause I thought it was a two on one. I had no idea he even had a chance at it. it was... No, there's uh you know screen grabs as the internet does uh so well, like immediately screen grabs of where LeBron James was um you know when Andre Godala was basically midway through the paint and it was like he was almost at half court. You know, he he recovered so quickly, as you mentioned. I, I think this, the block will probably be remembered more, to be honest. I, I know Kyrie's three, you know, we'll talk about it for sure. Um, but it's Kyrie and, and it's LeBron. And right. people, you know, put, are putting LeBron James on a pedestal after that series, and rightfully so. And, uh, you know, he didn't really have an offensive moment in the last few minutes. That was all, that was the, the Kyrie moment, as you mentioned, was the only one because no one could score. Um, so LeBron... Uh, that that is going to be remembered because, uh, as we know, he could have he could have played hockey if he wanted to. He could have played football if he wanted yeah. to. You know, like yeah. if he was dedicated. The guy's a, a ridiculous athlete um, when he wants to turn it on, and he showed why he's the best player in the world um, in the in the finals. Uh, you know, it, it was a uh, the, the entire six seven months of the regular season. It was Steph's crown um, because LeBron knows how to turn it on in the playoffs a little bit. You know, he does, not that he coasts, but he doesn't have to be the best version of himself in an 82-game season to to win the first seed. They won it with 57 games, um, and, uh, you know, and then he 
back to the wall again. Something triggered was triggered in that man where he 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 just he just was locked locked in, and that that block showed it. You know, it was uh, kudos to J.R. Smith. Actually, I don't think he gets enough credit for forcing Iguodala to Pass. adjust, mm-hmm. and uh, because he adjusted, LeBron was able to to make up that ground. It was the timing too. Like you know, live I thought also there's a chance that that ball hit the glass first, which would have been a goaltend and two points for the Warriors. Uh, but the timing where he got it clearly before it hit glass was ridiculous. And um, Iguodala is known to also go reverse uh, and go with his left hand. Um, so, uh, you know, I wondered if, if Iguodala decided to do that and go with his left hand, um, would he have still blocked it? And the way LeBron was basically with both hands up against the the glass almost like he could have he would have blocked it right side left side um but the fact that jr played d uh and didn't allow Iguodala to dunk it gave gave uh lebron the time to make up for it and yeah man that is the block the block call it whatever that was um that's a play that that's going to go down in his lore for sure uh you know he's had some some cool moments but uh that one is uh you know, championship saving. I, you know, I think the Warriors, like we talked about, they have the, they are were the best home team this season. Um, it was like they're invincible at home. Uh, you know, even in Game Five, yeah, they lost home court, uh, but Draymond Green wasn't there. Bogut went down. So I think you know, going into Game Seven, Steve Kerr must have been telling this guys, listen, last time we were, you know, had Draymond had our, our had our you know our death lineup, we kicked the snot out of this team. At home, specifically at home, and so uh, you know they had to have that idea or that feeling going into that game. And so if Iggy hits that shot, I think the mojo starts to come back those last few minutes. And regardless if Kyrie hits that three a minute later, they probably win that game if LeBron doesn't uh, come up with that big block because they are the Warriors, and um, you know they didn't have the mojo. But that I don't know, LeBron probably just stole it from them right there, just grabbed that mojo off the backboard and. Uh, and took it and turned it into a Cavs W. The Sweatscasts are here with Tass Malice from uh, the starters. Uh, real quick, a couple more real quick, and I'll let you go. Uh, so six six finals in a row, three championships, uh, three championship MVPs. He had 40, 40, and a triple-double in the last three games of a, the first 3-1 to one comeback in finals history. He ended the 52-year schneid of the whole city of Cleveland. Uh, as of right now, how do you put the legacy of LeBron James into context? Man, you know, I, I find it very difficult to do this. I'm not copying out, copying out here, but I find it very difficult to do this at 31 years of age. Mm-hmm. I'm not 31. LeBron is 31. Uh, <laughs> it, he... Uh, like you said, all those achievements, um, uh, it's, it's difficult to put him, rank him at this point because, you know, at 31, he's still young in terms of the NBA world. You know, like, uh, there's, there's enough time to pop a few more corks, you know, that we're not done here. So, um, can we start to rank him in top five, six, seven, eight? I find it difficult to do. Uh, just because he hasn't finished uh, his resume quite yet. And uh, at this point, I'd still have, you know, Duncan and Kobe, you know, just slightly ahead of him because, you know, they won five. Uh, and, you know, Kobe won it with Shaq. And, 
and uh, Duncan. You know, Duncan isn't the sexiest of NBA players, but uh, I, I just find I find it difficult to do. I, I, uh, you know, he is the best right now, um, and and you couldn't really even say that before the series because uh, you know we we wondered if LeBron was um, just ever so slightly past his prime. That was a legitimate talk in uh, NBA TV circles here uh, after that three-one game. Uh, we're all so good at flip-flopping, but after 3-1, the talk was, ah, you know, he doesn't really want to go after it. He doesn't, he, he, he just maybe can't, doesn't have a go-to move in the post where he's unstoppable if he really wants to be, but maybe he's just, just doesn't have it anymore. Uh, well, we obviously realize that he does, <laughs> uh, you know, watching, you know, that Kyrie alley-oop earlier in the series and, uh, in the block, as you mentioned, I'm glad he's taking off, uh, most likely is taking off the 2016 Olympics, uh, because he needs to save some legs for, um, you know, for the, the postseason and the NBA world so we can have this legitimate conversation. And in a few years, I think when he's, you know, 35, 36, uh, and, uh, we can say, oh, he's won four. Uh, he's won five. Uh, that's what the best players do. They win it. So, right. uh, you know, he didn't win one until, um, you know, 2012. And, uh, you know, that was his ninth year in his career. And, uh, he started obviously earlier than MJ did because he came right out of high school. Uh, but the best guys win and, uh, they find a way to win, even if his Cavs team wasn't all that good. Um, in the first several years of his career. So, uh, I'm going to take a, take a pass to say, no, it's fair um, enough. I, I, but uh, you know, he yeah. is, he's the best. Uh, like I, I like, you know, as far as generations go, you know, Kobe and Duncan to me were the top two, uh, of the, you know, the gen, the post 95 drafted generation. And, and LeBron is obviously the best. Um, after that, you know, I, I think those are sort of the, the three players that I look at, you know, since Jordan, uh, as, as the best. And, uh, you know, LeBron could surpass him, but surpass those two. But if he doesn't win another one, I don't think you can put him past Duncan. I just, it's, uh, it's about titles. It's about, uh, winning atmospheres. And, you know, it does stink sometimes in, in the NBA world. It matters who you, you do have on your team. And, and although I just said, um, you know, the best find a way to win, well, he has, um, but he didn't have the best of teams to start his career. And, uh, you know, you look at a guy like a guy like Tracy McGrady or guys that didn't really have a lot of playoff success. And if they had better teammates, they would have. Uh, so LeBron deserves credit. Um, you know, he found a way to, to make it happen. Um, regardless of the situation. And he knew that he knew that going to Cleveland would be a better situation. Um, and, uh, you know, so he still, he's guys got time to, uh, to keep painting this portrait. It's not over quite yet. I think it's interesting too, how, you know, uh, Sidney Crosby didn't get invited to the all-star game this year. You know, people felt like Patrick Kane, had kind of passed him as the best player in the world. Um, it kind of, I felt like around the post all-star game, he elevated his game to a new level and he took it all the way to, to a cup and he's the champion right now and Con Smythe winner. And, and, and with LeBron, we talked all year about how Steph Curry was the best player in the world. And 
I don't know if it kicked in as early, but maybe like you said, right around game five ish, it felt like something clicked with the with LeBron that he's gonna go get it. And I mean, forty forty in a triple double, and, and like like you said, the way we were talking about him after game five, the way maybe we're talking about him now, it's just it's unbelievable. Um, the sports cast this year. Our man, Tass Mellis, nice enough to give us some time. He's at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S on Twitter. And, of course, The Starters appears on the NBA Network, and you can download it in podcast form on iTunes and wherever you get uh, podcasts. Uh, last thing, we'll let you go out on this. Uh, anything stand out last night? Who do you think made the best pick? Or That's a really generic question, but I guess I'm just asking you in two minutes to tell me anything that maybe stood out about the draft. Um. Well, there's some, uh, uh, first, uh, you know, I think Ben Simmons uh, was the right pick at number one for the Sixers, and they should probably be the, feel like the moment where they kind of turn the corner. Um, well, you know, you can't really turn back after only winning 10 wins, but uh, <laughs> that that um, that was a feeling there. That Like, okay, I mean, we got the best player in the draft. He's not injured, uh, which was different than the last couple of years. Right. Him and you know, Joel Embiid is still a question mark, but could be still be a superstar. Um, this is uh, this may be their moment. So I think they made the right pick. Um, there's lots of other little things. I'm really excited about Buddy Heald out of Oklahoma. Me too. And, uh, because you know he's going to a situation where the New Orleans Pelicans missed the playoffs, but they have Anthony Davis, uh, and you know they missed the playoffs really because AD was hurt. And uh, the entire roster was just kind of in shambles around him. So, you know, I watched the game live in New Orleans this year, uh, working for NBA TV, and uh, Eric Gordon was their starting shooting guard. And he, he's just not the player he once was, or not even close to. And uh, Buddy Heald can just step right in um, and score a ton. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty pumped to see Anthony Davis and him, uh, you know, and, and what what they do there, I'm not sure. But Alvin Gentry... Um, has got those two to start, and again, their roster. I'm not sure how it works, so you know, or how it will be assembled with Drew Holiday. But I'm very pumped to watch that, and uh, I'm pumped for the Oklahoma City Thunder on the, the trade front, uh, getting Victor Oladipo uh, for Serge Ibaka. You know, Ibaka is a very good player, um, and I think the Magic made a good move uh, trading one of their young stars for an, a more established guy in Serge Ibaka. Uh, but he was. He, you know, he kind of worn out his welcome in OKC. Um, although he's a, you know, a fantastic guy, um, off the court, there seemed to be some problems within the locker room and the way OKC played small in the playoffs with Kevin Durant at the four, or you know, he can play Kevin, Andre Robertson at the four and Kevin Durant was playing great defense. He kind of made Serge Ibaka expendable, you know, to go along with the, uh, the scuttle butts that were happening in the locker room. I'm really, really pumped to see uh, Durant at the four, Robertson, whoever they put, you know, along with uh, an improved Steven Adams. It's a championship caliber team if Kevin Durant stays. Oh, yeah, got to throw that in, caveat, <laughs> if Kevin Durant stays. But uh, that's, you know, that's sort of generic talk out there that, uh, you know, it's kind of unfounded that he's leaving. You know, there's just not... right. Anything, any evidence of that that he's going to Golden State or, or wherever. So, pump for the Thunder. Uh, good move by the Magic as well. That's an intriguing team there. And, uh, I mean, there's only, I only got so many minutes, so I'll, I'll stop there. But, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, the, the draft, you know, didn't, didn't, 
um, impressed because there weren't many crazy moments um, that stood out or many crazy picks. Um, but all the you know the the trades and Derrick Rose going to New York, uh, there is some um, some intriguing storylines uh, like the Thunder and the Magic and even the Timberwolves getting Chris Dunn with uh, Ricky Rubio still there. That's a sexy team with Towns and and Wiggins. So uh, uh, lots of teams improving and um, and. Uh, Interesting storylines going to sixteen, seventeen. Where should we uh, look for the starters? What what's your off season uh, schedule? What do you guys? Where are you guys going to be? Uh, well, we got a couple uh, free agency shows coming up uh, as free agency uh, starts on July first, uh, and uh, and then we're at summer league in Vegas for ten days, um, plus some podcasts afterwards. We call them the drop off with just random stuff throughout July and August, uh, just random you know sort of uh, non basketball topics where we kind of ramble. So uh, as you mentioned, iTunes, uh, Google Play Music uh, for the podcasts. Uh, you can also watch our full episodes, our TV episodes on YouTube, uh, on the NBA channel, and there's a starters playlist. And uh, watch us on NBA TV. Um, you know, a couple free agency shows, and then uh, summer league is happening. So uh, you know, that's always fun. We always have the the young guys on. So you know, the Met players we mentioned, you know, Simmons. Hopefully, he can stop by our set, or uh, you know. Anybody uh, you know within uh, that's playing there can uh, can come on by our set and have a good time. Thanks so much for doing this. I know it's a busy time. Uh, again, it's at Tass Malice on uh, Twitter, and um, like you said, all the, the starter stuff. I think you guys uh, put a new one out today too, right? Didn't I see? I thought I saw a link today of uh, a newer show. But um, yeah, he he just did a great job of laying it all out. So I should shut up. Thanks so much for uh, doing this. <laughs> Yeah, man, I did forget about today's show. You're you're totally right. You know, I never know when you're going to post these things. Yeah, man, I am so never know. today. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank all right, you. Thanks, bud. All right, I want to thank uh, Taz Mellis for being on the podcast today. It is Friday afternoon in Buffalo, New York. Kind of a crazy week for the show. Don and I actually recorded, I know we did mention it on Tuesday. And uh, it was a busy week for our guests uh, between the NHL Awards, uh, the NBA Draft, uh, all the different things that went on. So we actually, I just recorded both of the interviews uh, in the last hour or so on Friday afternoon. So you just heard our interview with Taz Mellis. I want to thank Taz for being on the show today. And then after this, we're going to do an interview with Adrian Dater, who is actually in Vegas uh, for the NHL Awards and for the announcement that the uh, that the uh, NHL is expanding into Las Vegas. Uh, we mentioned in three things that some of the stuff we talked about would happen, some of that being Patrick Kane did win, the Hart Trophy, uh, we mentioned that. Uh, Lionel Messi did, in fact, tear up the United States and Argentina. will play Chile in the finals of the Copa. Uh, Italy won their group. Uh, feels like they lost it somehow uh, because they have to play Spain, who has won this thing two times in a row uh, in the first knockout game. Uh, and then if they win that, they'll probably have to play Germany. So... Man, their chances get difficult. 
so a lot has happened since Don and I recorded uh, on Tuesday. Uh, this will go up uh, in a little bit today, and then we'll have a new episode next week. Uh, we're going to start to get on a run here because we got a bunch of interviews uh, scheduled. Uh, book club update real quick. Uh, your favorite band is Killing Me. What pop music rivalries reveal about the meaning of life by Stephen Hyden? Uh, I finished this book this week, and we're gonna. I'm going to talk to Stephen on Monday, uh, so I'm sure that interview will be part of next week's podcast. Uh, a really great book, which you can get. Uh, I know it was on sale this week. I don't know if it's still on sale, uh, but it has it has been on sale. Um, and uh, if you buy books on Apple, you may have received some credits uh, for a because of a class action lawsuit. I got like twenty eight dollars in credits. Uh, and if you're looking for a book to buy with those credits, uh, if you have them, your favorite band is Killing Me. What pop music rivalries reveal about the meaning of life by Stephen Hyden is certainly one, and we'll talk to him uh, next week. Uh, one of the all-time honors uh, involved with the book club was being able to interview Frank DeFord, and he has a new book, and it's called I Know That Voice Anywhere, and it's his favorite NPR commentaries in word form, uh, and I believe Frank is going to be on the show again. Uh, I sent a pitch uh, out to the publicist, and I think they said yes. They sent two books, uh, so I have one to give away if you're interested. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. But I think uh, Frank is going to be on. Uh, So that's pretty cool uh, if that does happen. I will... uh, I will be praying it does because it was an honor to have him the first time and be great to be able to call him a two-time uh, guest to the show. Uh, so we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Adrian Dater and then Don and I will be back with one last thing, another segment that we recorded on Tuesday. Uh, and then we will be back uh, next week for another edition of the Sportscasters. <laughs> All right, our next guest is from Vermont and is a graduate of Keene State College. Uh, He wrote about the Colorado Avalanche forever for the Denver Post. And today he writes about the National Hockey League for Bleacher Report. He's also the author of uh, one of the best hockey books of all time, Blood Feud, the Detroit Red Wings versus Colorado Avalanche and the inside story of pro sports' best and nastiest rivalry of its era. And uh, we're lucky enough to have him today. Warren Sportscasters, welcome to Adrian Dater. What's up, AD? Hey, Steve. Great to be with you. Congratulations on being a new father. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. nothing better. Yep. She's uh, uh, yeah. eight welcome, pounds of welcome joy. Welcome to the club. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's actually my first Father's Day on Sunday, but I didn't quite feel like I earned it yet because, like, she was, like, about <laughs> two and a half days old, and people are saying, happy Father's Day to me. And I was like, you know... I think I missed the cutoff for this year. I think I'll really wait till next year to truly celebrate myself as a father. I don't quite feel like I've yeah, it's time hard to, yet. You it's know. hard to get that gift from the from the child either at that age. I, yeah, she I think you need to give her a pass for yeah, she, writing your card. She doesn't she doesn't <laughs> shop just yet. 
But knowing your, <laughs> knowing your mother, it won't be long until she shops. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's, that's right. That's, well, I know that's, I know that journey, too, with uh, my wife. But, uh, and thank you for the Kiss opening, as always. Yes. War Machine, 1982, Preachers One Night, Kiss. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite albums for the band, and uh, I know you've got your tickets already this summer, Steve, for the uh, Freedom to Rock tour of Kiss, 35-city tour, mostly in smaller venues that uh, Kiss was undertaking very shortly, so I know you've got your tickets yes, and your I'll, war paint on. I'll be going. I've, I have seen Kiss two times. I've been to two shows. <laughs> I know you have. Yeah, so I have, uh, Good have enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> there is a wrestler named Taz. Uh, I guess he's still a, a wrestler named Taz. I don't. He's not active, but he used to come to the ring in ECW to War Machine. It was pretty. It was a real badass yep. entrance. Yeah, I think he told me that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. Yeah. That's um, like, I don't remember just bobbing my head to that song really badly uh, when I was seventeen years old when that album came out. But uh, but I hear you want to talk some hockey. Yes, we have we have many hockey topics to discuss. Uh, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about the Penguins real quick. Um, I thought that they put in a pretty convincing and dominant, uh, championship performance this spring. Uh, they took out the president's trophy winners somewhat convincingly. Uh, they took care of the defending Eastern conference champions. And then I thought they pretty much dominated the Stanley cup. Uh, Martin Jones maybe made it a little closer. Uh, on paper than it actually was, in my opinion. What did you think of the Penguins' cup run in general and uh, the spring uh, had in Pittsburgh? Oh, I agree with everything you said. I mean, they I really, you know, the, the cup finals weren't as close as it seems. Only Martin Jones stealing game five in Pittsburgh really, you know, prolonged that series one more game than it should have probably. Uh, they were great. I mean, God, they just got better and better and better. I mean, it's unbelievable how Mike Sullivan just turned that team around. I mean, you know, I keep searching for the secret sauce uh, answer to the why the team turned around like it did. I guess, you know, the best I could come up with was Mike Sullivan just kind of eased off a little on Mike Johnson's old system of, uh, you know, it's not that the, it's not that the forwards had just all this freedom to do whatever they wanted and cherry pick, but he he um, he just moved everything up a couple feet, basically on the ice. Um, you know, the forwards pitched. You know, everybody did their checking duties just a little further up the ice than it was before with Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson, I guess, wanted to play more of a sit back kind of game, where you know, um, wait for the wait for your opportunities that way. Mike Sullivan, I guess, wanted to use the speed more to to create those turnovers and get going the other way. Boy, did that work. <laughs> uh, and it seemed to just uh, enliven Sidney Crosby's attitude and game and uh, uh, everybody else's. I mean, I mean, when you get a guy like Phil Kessel doing back-checking and yeah. playing pretty well that way, I guess you got a pretty good, you got pretty good coach on your hands. A team that bought in, in other words. So, um, yeah, I thought they were just unbelievable. I, <clears throat> I saw them, uh, you know, earlier in the year, and I thought, wow, this team is not very good. You know, they, they're lazy. Uh, they don't care. They look like they, they just kind of let play hard for a few minutes and then sit sit back and don't do anything. And this team just put on the gas, put on the gas all the time. I uh, thought 
I don't know what you think about this, but I kind of felt like, although he probably didn't care and was maybe happy to skip the All-Star game, I think not being invited was a little bit of the case of poking the bear a little bit with Sidney Crosby. And it kind of felt like post that, that he was somewhat, I don't know if I want to say rededicated, because I don't know if that's fair. I don't, for me to judge how dedicated or not dedicated it was, but it felt like that snub, uh, whether or not it was actually a snub in terms of whether or not he deserved it, but that I'm guessing perceived slight on his part. It felt like we got a di- different Sidney Crosby after the fact, and it kind of felt like he reasserted himself um, a little bit over those last few months and through the cup as kind of the best player in the world. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he didn't say that, but he, I think as any time a player is left off of any kind of thing like that, it definitely makes you, you know, if I'm Sidney Crosby and I'm not in the All-Star game, I'm probably going, geez, you know, what's, how did that happen? You know, so. He, but he probably didn't deserve it at that time. I mean, right. Pittsburgh Penguins were out of the playoffs in December. Um, and, uh, you know, Crosby, I think, was like 91st in the league when Mike when Mike Johnson got fired, 91st in scoring. Um, I think he ended up fourth or third, whatever. Um, so, listen, I mean, yeah, he, he he probably did get fired up. And don't forget, too, he probably got some good rest that he needed, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had a lot of rest with me. That probably wasn't a big factor, but he, sometimes he, these guys, I mean, these superstars, they go from one thing to another all the time, and uh, I know that they appreciate a little time off to rejuvenate the mental batteries a little, so uh, that could have helped, too. I just think that, uh, boy, Mike Sullivan obviously just came in and just, you know, I don't know what to believe, though, like, I don't always believe in the easy storyline like that. Like, oh, okay, Mike Johnson was the hard ass coach, so Mike uh, Mike Johnson was the hard ass. Mike Sullivan came in, and now he's the player's coach. You know, and, but in a couple of years he'll wear out his welcome, and then they'll have to get the, the player's coach back. I, right? I don't know. I don't. Think, I don't suspect that Mike Sullivan is much of a quote unquote player's coach in that way. I mean, he's pretty tough, from what I gather. Um, he'll chew your butt out all the time. I mean, he made some tough personnel decisions too. Sitting out Mark Andre Fleury, for instance, when he could have easily, you know, pressured on back to starting him for good after when he was healthy. And then, so, um, from what I hear too, though, Sid really took it upon himself to to be a better leader. Um, and whatever that was, he, uh, you know, rededicated himself uh, after that first half, and and from all I just I was in the locker room around that run or in the finals, and just picking up. You know, you pick up little things from players when the tape recorders are off, and you you kind of get a moment to chat with them a little bit before you walk away. And one of the things I asked one of the players was, you know, how has Sid changed him? And he's, they basically just said he's he's uh, he's kind of like taking a more of a leadership role in a way, but he's he's doing it in a more in a way that doesn't sort of grate on guys too. Like he he had a reputation of being really tough on teammates, especially his line mates. And I don't know. If, I think that from what I gather, you know, he's not the he's not the hard ass that he was as much either. He's kind of like you know 
tried to become more open to his teammates and really develop developing a better relationship with them, as opposed to being, you know, hey, I'm, I'm Sidney Crosby, you better get in line or else, kind right. of thing, or you better be a great player so you can play with me. So, I don't know, I just think the, everything, boy, everything gelled right at the right time for that, that team, and, and Crosby led the way. And he did finish third in scoring, you were right about that. Uh, yes, okay. Yeah, uh, just ahead of Thornton <laughs> and just behind Jamie Benn. Uh, yep. With that said, uh, is there anything else when you look when you think back on the 2016 NHL playoffs? You gonna take anything with you, whether it be on the ice, off the ice, about the Penguins, about the Sharks, someone else? Anything? Well, anything stick out about that two months? Oh, uh, geez, you know I got to cover the Western Finals for Bleacher uh, Report and then the whole Cup Finals. Most of it, uh, I missed the games one too, actually, but. Uh, um, Little thing to stand out, boy. I thought the Blues were going to win the Stanley Cup. That was the first thing. I really thought the Blues were buying into Ken Hitchcock, and, and everything was going their way. Somehow they did do it again. Um, that game uh, five that they blew at home was is to me. It's like God. I'm, if I'm a Blues fan, that's that's like my equivalent almost of Game Six of the Red Sox in '86 or something. That I just they had, and I really thought they were. I think they would have given them the Penguins are a really tough time too, because they play the same style in a way. And, uh, um, but Ken Hitchcock is really good at figuring out where your defensive system and tailoring ways to beat it. One of the things the Penguins did was, you know, the Sharks got in on the forecheck so well against the Blues. Well, Pittsburgh's attitude was just chip it out. They didn't, they didn't make any short passes in their own zone. They just chipped it out and made the forwards chase it down in the neutral zone. Um, but the Penguins had the forward speed to do that. Um, and uh, that frustrated the Sharks a lot. Um, but the Blues, the Blues, Hitchcock was saying he should have done that same thing to beat the, to beat the Sharks. He should have had his speed chip it out and get his speedy forward to get it. Um, that was one thing I really thought the Blues would win. They didn't. Uh, I was struck so much by... Uh, Gosh, I was just struck so much by how badly the Penguin fans seemed to want it too this time. Like they were rabid. Yeah, I mean that, those block parties in Pittsburgh were something else. Insane I mean, they had crowds. Yeah, tens of thousands yeah. of people seemed like sitting around watching those games. And uh, I'll tell you what, no disrespect at all to the Sharks, they have great crowds, loud buildings. There was no, uh, there was no none of that outside the San Jose building. Um, during their games, uh, it was it was it was like death. You know, it was like it seemed like a ghost town right, right after the games. Even even what game they won. Yeah, I, I think um, I think markets like a, that. But, sorry, I think markets like that sometimes are. It seems like the fans are what the people at the arena like. You know what I mean? It seems like Carolina yeah. is definitely like this. Like they got about fifty thousand fans, and twenty thousand are there, and you know. Or whatever. I don't know, maybe San Jose yeah. is like that. Yeah, no, that's true. They, but I was just struck by the number of Penguin fans. I, I always thought, well, Pittsburgh Steeler town, that's that's the way it is. Uh, boy, it's a Penguin town, too. I mean, they were everywhere. Yeah, and I, they really cared. I felt like they bad. Were, they, were, they were really into that game. I, I only got to see one game in Pittsburgh, and that was game five. Yeah. And, uh, God, they were into it. 
mean, yeah. every bounce of the puck. They were mad when they lost that game, too. So. Yeah, I felt bad they uh, didn't that get it done. Kind of reminded me of the Rangers in 94 when the Rangers came to the Garden with that 3-1 lead on Vancouver. And just, like, yeah. the whole city was ready for it that night, you know? And, yeah. You know, but luckily yeah. both, it ended well for both teams. New York did get to win it at home in Game 7. Obviously, Pittsburgh got it in 6, but yeah, it kind of reminded yeah. me of that. We had built. They had Bill Mazeroski in the building that night too. Yeah. The last guy to win a mm-hmm. you know title in Pittsburgh with a home run. Yeah, and that was that was cool to see him. First of all, but uh, yeah, they, they really wanted it that night. Didn't happen, but they're they're happy now. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so, the Cup Finals. I uh, and there's a couple things. I mean, the ratings were low. Yeah, uh, that's you know that's the way it goes. I think San Jose as a market just doesn't bring in the, the national interest as a team. Rather. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's too bad. There's no ratings in Canada either with the no Canadian teams. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I always get too bogged down in the ratings, TV ratings. I always sort of take it personally. It seems like I'm a hockey guy. <laughs> um, there's just nothing you can do. Especially, but it was embarrassing that game one ratings uh, difference between the, well, game one of the Stanley Cup finals. Game seven of the Western Conference against finals. Against game seven yeah. of the Western yeah. finals. That was mm-hmm. like 30 million to four million or something. It was kind of a, and kind I, th- of a, and yeah, I think right that here. it just never got any steam sort of because of that. Just kind of started on the wrong yeah. right and just never, really, yep. never really built. Let's jump ahead because you yep. were, you were in Las Vegas, yep. uh, the last couple of days. Um, yep. and let's start with expansion. Um, I've heard that the buzz in Vegas is, is pretty intense for the team that, they're pretty excited about it. Did you get that sense? What do you think about the 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 reaction to hockey in Vegas by the people of Vegas? Yeah, I, I did think that. I mean, it's, it's such a spread out place, and you know, everybody's from somewhere else. And but um, I was getting a ride to the airport yesterday from the cabbie, and uh, you know, I, I brought it up. Hey, you know, in Vegas, you got a hockey town, though, right? And you, I figured, nah, this guy's not going to know anything about it. He's like, yeah, I already got my ticket. I was 23rd wow. in line to get the tickets. I'm number I'm number 23 on the list. Um, he said he bought five years' worth of season tickets for $12,000. Holy shit. So I was like, okay, you must, you must have a very good nice taxi. Business here, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I guess Uber has, it. I guess Uber <laughs> has an insurance crossed on your financial territory much. Um so yeah, then we started talking hockey, and he was just all totally into it. Um, you know, and he he just you know, you know a couple of the other locals, you know, uh, Vegas, they don't like you know they always have the strip. That's what they're known for. But the people in Vegas don't look at it that way. That's not really they not theirs. They don't think you know the people who live in Vegas wanted something to call their own. Finally, right? And now they have it with an NHL team. They've had minor league teams. They've had, you know, the Red Rebels of UNLV were a phenomenon. They that was their team. They supported. They support that. I mean, they even got their own thirty for thirty about that. Yep. Uh, and um, they're excited. I think that uh, it's going to be a slow process to really educate everyone in Las Vegas about hockey, and that's normal. It's going to take a few years, but uh, you know. They uh, they sold for fifteen thousand season tickets already, and I think if I'm not mistaken, they have to buy a three year minimum commitment to do that. Uh, so 
that's three years worth. I'm not a little, there might be some technicality I don't have on that right, but I think so. I think you have to buy a three-year commitment or at least pledge it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a lot of people, man. That's a, that's a sold-out building every day. That's a full house, no pun intended. Yeah, um, beautiful that, arena, too. It's a beautiful arena. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really nice. Uh, it's a fascinating discussion. Will it work long-term? Well, nothing works long-term if, it's, if you don't have a winner. you got to have a winner, first of all. The Colorado Avalanche sold out 487 straight games in Denver. And uh, nobody ever thought it would end. Well, guess what? It did end. They had 12,000 in the building the last two years. Um, so you got to win, first of all. And, I, you know, markets are fickle. It goes up and down. But, uh, you know, it's never going to be Canada, of course. It's not going to be sold out every night like Toronto. Toronto, you know, it's not going to happen. But uh, there's just too many good arguments of, as to why I think it could could be a unique, fun market that lasts a while. You know, yeah. Really, the fact is, there are tons of new people who come through that place every few days, and they want they want they got money to spend, and uh, that's just going to be another entertainment option that that a lot of people do get picked off to do. And, and uh, you know, but the locals themselves seem really excited. I still feel like there's a factor of what just wait, what just happened here? You know, a little bit of that too. Like they didn't know if that was really going to happen or not, and they it had. I think people still sort of. Waking up to the shock from the shock of it, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great story and it'll be a real fun uh, situation going forward. I really do. Let me ask you this: Is Drew Doughty the first fancy stats award winner? Uh, no, I think it goes more than that. I mean, uh, you know, I know he's got a great coursey fifty-eight percent, which is excellent, but. Uh, no, I think it goes more than that. There's a lot of speculation that the voters gave Dowie one because they felt like they owed him from before, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, I didn't get a vote this year, by the way, so I don't. I didn't. I can't speak to that. Who voted where or what? Um, but yeah, I think he's just a proven player that deserved. It. I mean, he's. I know he had he had 30 less points than the other guys, almost. But uh, you know, guys are definite stud. I mean, oh yeah, you know, unbelievable. Let's look at the let's look at the all around game here. I mean, Burns and Carson were minus players. I know everybody dumps on plus minus, but the fact is they were on the ice for more goals against than they were for. That's just a fact, and they were, that's not the case with Doughty. And uh, you know, they play a different system in LA too, where they don't have the offensive freedom to uh, skate with the puck like those other. You guys do a little bit more, so uh, I think that has to be factored in. When you combine what he actually did offensively with the defensive numbers, I think he deserves it. He's, he's the best all-around defenseman, and, uh, and I think they got it right. What did you think of the uh, other award winners? Did any anything stand out? Was there one that bugged you, or did you felt like it kind no, of... No, not really. I yeah. thought the voters got so it through. I. I mean, I I can't believe that there were two writers who didn't vote Carlson or, or Dowdy in the top five. I think that whoever yeah, did not ridiculous. do that should, yeah. should get their uh, vote taken away. And whoever voted for Francois Beauchemin gave him a vote for Norris Trophy. Probably ought to have his vote taken away <laughs> or her. I mean, you know, Francois Beauchemin, really? Somebody who actually voted him in the top five? <laughs> I mean, come on. 
<laughs> What's that? That's 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 what you get disqualified from ever voting again if you did that. I mean, you know, not voting Carlson in in the top five could have swayed the vote. I forget what I don't think there was would have happened. I think both Dowdy won comfortably enough, but if that had swayed the, the actual trophy, I think we'd have a big scandal on our hands in the NHL. Right, right that now. happened to Derek Jeter in 2006. I mean, two guys, yeah, yeah. two guys voted him below third, and if they would have voted him third each, he would have won the MVP. So, and both were from Boston. Whole other conversation. Yeah, I guess. Maybe but... it's time to just really get the voting down to just a really select few people who know what the hell they're talking about. Um, if you're a beat writer for the Boston Bruins, let's say, or the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's all you ever see is those two teams and, and against who they play one time or two times a year, should you really be voting on a national scale for players from all over as the best overall? Or should it be to, you know, people like, you know, quote unquote national writers or broadcasters who aren't, the, um, who see everybody more? So, yeah, I don't know. I think argument. it's uh, definitely a joke, though, that somebody did not vote Carlson or Dowdy in the top five. I mean, what are they thinking? I think it's a joke that anyone voted for Connor McDavid as Rookie of the Year, but the people in Edmonton certainly <laughs> seem to think it was a complete snub uh, that he didn't win it. And I, oh, yeah. I've been watching yeah. my buddy Greg Wyshynski just battling with people on Twitter about this the last yeah. few days. But where did you stand on the Rookie of the Year? Well... You know, I love McDavid. I mean, he would have won if he played a full season, I think. Let's face it, I mean, 1.07 points per game. I think that was, uh, what, fourth among all players? Uh, um, it's so, a lot easier to average um, a point a game when you only play 40, though. Yep, I know. And that's why I don't think he did deserve the, the, the caller, because fair or not, you didn't play the full season. The other guy did, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, uh you know, injuries injuries factor into those kind of things, and when it comes to awards, you know, it doesn't go by reputation; it goes by what you actually did in the season. And uh, our team, Panarin, had seventy seven points in an eighty game season. That's that was his first year in the NHL. I don't care if he was a pro before; you know, there's no comparison between the KHL and the NHL. Doing that your first year is a hell of an accomplishment, and I know you're playing with good players too. But let's face it. Panera made Kane a lot better. I mean, Kane doesn't win the Hart Trophy probably without our TV Panera. So uh, they, they made each other better, and, and I think Panera deserves it overall. I mean, I know he's 24 years old. Uh, McDavid's 18. So what? You know, he, it's his first year. That's the rules. And uh, um, he deserved it. <clears throat> and I would have thought that, you know, I think I would have taken Gosses beer. I had a McDavid, too. Oh, I mean, absolutely. He was Flyers MVP this year. All-around D-man, clutch goal. Really played well. Um, I think he deserved it over McDavid, too. ECAC. You know, McDavid's a great player. He's going to get his trophies, so it's, nobody should feel sorry for him. But, uh, hey, you know, it's just it's too bad. You know, he got hurt. He missed half the season. The he guy... did play for a last-place team again, too. He didn't, they didn't make his team a winner, that's for sure, when he did play, so. I think he had uh, like thir- too. I think he had like thirteen assists when he was injured too. I mean, it's unbelievable the assists this guy gets. I mean, I think he's just got to be within yeah. thirty-five miles of a goal, and they giving him assists. So, um, <laughs> tonight the draft is in Buffalo. <laughs> uh, everyone is here. Um, 
and yep. obviously Austin Matthews. <laughs> Austin Matthews, I'm sure, will be the the first overall pick, and yep, uh, Patrick will. Patrick uh, Lane is that how you say it? Will be the second, and the other Finnish yep. guy will be the third, and then I'm going to say that Tuchuk is going to be the fourth. Let's just assume all that happens. What 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 interests you about the draft tonight? Beyond that, is there anything you're watching? Oh, for? trades trades interest me more than the draft. So, yeah. um I've Shed. never been a huge draft expert. Uh, it just it's just something that you can't be. Uh, yeah, you never get to see these kids play as an American based writer. Uh, you could watch YouTube videos all day long, but you never. They really know a player until you see him live, and uh, just never get to see him. So, um, so I'm probably the wrong guy to go as a draft uh, guru here. I'm not Mel Typer at all about the uh, NHL draft, but um, you know, I'm always I'm always interested to see how certain teams pick, though, uh, where they pick, especially in the second or third rounds. <laughs> so many great players have been plucked from those rounds. And a lot, a lot of times by the same scouts over and over. Detroit, for right. instance, always just didn't see who they picked. Um, Hakan, I understand, is just a brilliant scout. And, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll always find some gem that everybody just kicks themselves over later. So, um, you know, um, I just, I think the, the trades are always exciting about the draft. And I think that's the most exciting part about the draft. That's the only time you have trades anymore is at the draft. So uh, I know there's a lot of rumors out there, and, and I'm following some of them too. Yeah, we won't um, get too much into them because we're going to get scooped. Whatever okay. we say now, you know what I mean? It, yeah. we, we're going to speculate now, yeah. and then in two hours, something different is going to happen. So we, But I'd, you, right. maybe some guys you expect to get traded. Who, who are some guys you expect maybe to get traded? Uh, I think Ben Bishop gets traded. Um I don't think Subban gets traded. Um, Shattenkirk, and uh, Shattenkirk gets traded for sure. Um, maybe Colorado's got a guy or two that's probably going to trade. Uh, it could be big. It could be small. I don't know at this point. So yeah, you're right. Let's not name too many names because it'll all be on the wash. You know, right, but uh, yeah, we're gonna get scooped. I don't know. Draft. I mean, I just great to see the. I think it's just a great story. Austin awesome Matthews get picked. I mean, American-born player, uh, yeah, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. You know, come on! I mean, this is this is unheard of. This is really this is what this is what Wayne Gretzky was talking about when he went to the LA Kings in 1988. Mm-hmm. Let's get hockey interest going. Let's get the game growing at the grassroots level. Well, here you go. Yep. I mean, 20, 20 years, thirty years later, we got the first. You know, we got a kid from Scottsdale going number one. Any legitimate kid from grew up playing hockey in Scottsdale, not yep. not some kid who, you know got sent to Canada at age 10 or whatever. You yeah, know? he was pretty so, much there until the um, development team, right? I mean, he was almost straight through till the development team, I think. Maybe one year yeah, before the development team? Yeah, he was there quite yeah, a while. I think yeah, so, yeah. right there in Scottsdale. Learned yeah. the game. Um, boy, you know, just on the heels of other Americans that have gone early, I mean, Seth Jones could have been number one a few years ago. Eichel was number, number two four, last year. Eichel, yeah. you know, Pat Kane exactly. was number one. So, yeah. USA Hockey in about three or four years, man. It's going to be fun to watch, right? Or maybe even sooner than that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be really... Finally a I'm going to be really interested to see what Tim Murray does this weekend. I mean, he already made one move, which I think was a no-brainer. He had four third-round picks. No big deal to give one and take a shot on 
uh, trying to talk uh, yeah. Vasi into coming here. You know, and luckily for the Sabres, if they do sign him, Yale doesn't play in the NHL. We know Vasi was only 2-11 and 2 all-time versus Yale, so pretty much a bust there. Um, but uh, yeah. otherwise, you know, I think that that was a no-brainer move. A little dig on Harvard hockey there. Uh, I think that was kind of a no-brainer move. Uh, Vasi would be a top 15 pick if he was in the draft tomorrow. Um, I think it's a great move. I hear, I hear they've got a good shot at signing him. Yeah, so do I. I guess he's been skating for two months with Eichel every day, just the two of them, and uh, they have the same agents yep. or whatever. So why not for you know for a yep. f- fourth of four third round picks? That I didn't think there was any yep. any risk to it. No. All right. Well, you can. Uh, why don't you lay out your Twitter and and get some plugs in and tell everyone where to find you and your books and your <clears throat> articles and all that. Well, hey, listen, this is not about me, but, uh, yeah, I'm still on Twitter, uh, A-Dater. Um, not quite as active on Twitter as I used to be for a lot of reasons, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, that's, I'm still there. Got my Raleigh Fingers, Joe Rudy avatar when they spent about four hours in a Boston Red Sox uniform in 1976 <laughs> in a trade that was actually nullified by Bully Keenan and an act of stupidity. And, uh, so that's, um, yeah, I got an Avalanche book coming out October 15th, sort of a history of the team, uh, inside stories, my own personal recollection, that kind of thing. Looking forward to that. It's done. It's, uh, it's, um, definitely got some, uh, stuff that Avalanche fans have never known before that. And, uh, a lot of hockey stuff in there that I think general hockey fans would like. So that's coming out. And, uh, that's about it, man. I don't do much else. I just, uh, and, uh, do my little thing, try to stay out of trouble, and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know that's that's about it. I would like to uh, start a podcast again this this fall. Probably try probably try a hockey podcast again. Awesome. And, uh, you know, get that going. just uh, just some hockey talk. You know, it's I mean everybody and their brother has a podcast right now, right? But you you were the ones that started it early, so that's why I listen to yours. Thank and, you. Uh, only a couple others that really talk hockey in depth at all on the years of love. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I hope to, yeah, I'm just have a general one. It's, it's easy to do now, right? Just fire oh yeah. Technology is it's easy. Done. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And when, when we started I, in 2000, I myself to do it a few. Yeah. Yeah. When we started in 2011, I'd ask people to come on. They didn't know what a podcast was, you know, they'd yeah. be like, you want me to do a what? So, I mean, it's a, it's really, it's a lot easier now and it's a lot more. Yeah accepted they're easy to listen to in the car it's not like you know before yep. so the car yeah. is what turned it all around yeah i mean especially for me plug it in your iphone in the car and uh and there it is on your speaker it's it's that's what do it and uh yeah well i love i love to, i've always loved talk shows too so that i've been having this podcast resurged like this you know i love talks i just love talk shows yeah i'm a Good big talk shows. i'm a big radio nerd i've been a howard stern guy forever Oh man! Just I just I love I love, Frank, love radio. I listen to Pete Franklin. I listen to Pete Franklin the three W in Cleveland as a a ten year old every night. Um, you know, when you grow up back east, you get such better AM yes. radio reception. Yes, states away. So I, as a kid in New Hampshire, I'd listen to Cleveland talk radio and Philadelphia talk radio and Boston talk radio just every night. You know, so I've been a kid a junkie for that since since little boy. All right, man. Well, you have a good uh, summer. We will talk on the internet and on text message and stuff like that, and we'll hook up soon. 
Thanks for doing this today. Okay, Steve. Thanks, right. and congrats again, man. No problem. Father. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Steve. All right. I want to thank our guests for being on the podcast today. Uh, Don't forget you can find this podcast and the last podcast featuring Catherine Perlman and Grant Wall. On our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters and at Sports. You can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. And you can listen to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts are found. All right, one last thing for me today. I'm going to congratulate my daughter Molly on her first championship. Uh, she was playing house league soccer in the four- to six-year-old age group, and her team ended up winning a uh, championship. I'm not sure she knew they won the championship <laughs> or ever knew the score. or like she, would, she barely cared when her team scored or got scored on, but, I mean – for her being in her first, she did like an instructional thing last year. Didn't have any real games. Uh, this year, she was actually we kind of just threw her into it. We could have put her back in the instructional thing, but we figured, what's the point? Like, yeah, so we threw her into this. Uh, when it ends, what is her favorite thing about it? Like, what is the, the first people, thing she'll probably. say about it? Oh, like, her friends. She met people yeah. on the other team. Like, yeah, she likes going and seeing these other kids. Uh, she likes her coach. She she wasn't a total flake about it like we i volunteered 100 years ago with my wife with real little kids like this and sometimes it's hard to even get the kids like to just get off the bench and play right or the kids just will we had a kid that would just leave and go sit with his parents in the stands and stuff like that uh she was good about that when she when it was her turn to go out there she'd run around she wasn't always looking at the ball sometimes she'd be talking to the ref or to the coach or whatever or talking like too much to her grandparents on the sideline it'd be like no go pay attention but she did good enough and i think next year she'll is it outside or inside it's outside it's outside she came within about a foot of a goal which like is practically a goal for her so close enough close enough i mean she ran with the ball like 10 feet at one point which is amazing for her like is there any studs yeah i mean yeah. you get when you get a six kid that's year six old. years old yeah. like four you still got some baby fat on you maybe right like six year old you're running around like a person and some of these kids are actually like a four-year-old can barely lift the ball off the ground with a shot. Like uh-huh. some of these six-year-olds are like put it top corner. <laughs> what else are you gonna try her out in? Anything else? Does she want to? She should try do... softball or gymnastics. She can do whatever she wants. Uh, Does she express any? I mean, no, sometimes I yet. think she doesn't even know what she wants. Right? You got to sure. just kind of pop her into something and see if it takes. Yeah, we haven't put her in preschool yet, and she might not go this year either. So we want to make sure we involve her with things just to meet people. Not that she's shy at all, but. Uh, we try to put her in things like we had. Her so in she doesn't go to preschool bit. this year. She won't go at all, right? Probably not. That's probably not. Yeah, it's just you're willing to take that risk of just throwing her into kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, she's a friendly enough kid. I don't think it'd be a socialization issue. It'd be more of a. What don't you like about pre-K? It'd be impossible to get her there. Like it's just really diff- we'd be paying a babysitter and sending her to pre-K because uh. the, the pre-K is like even the extended day is only like four hours or something. It's, uh. it's really short. So that's the biggest we wanted to send her, but I just logistically it's gotcha weird. But uh, yeah, we like her to try things. We won't let her quit anything she starts. I mean, 
she got bored at some of the games, but she played through it, and we're, we signed her up again. And uh, we got to get her into something and like performing, like dancing, singing, something. She's she's a ham, and she loves doing it, and she's not shy about it. So we'll get her into something like that. But uh, yeah, so she finished her first thing, got a medal. She told me later that night I don't have to call her champion because I oh. just kept calling. I'm like. Oh, you gotta get to bed, champion, or whatever. And she's like, "Dad, you don't have to call me champion every time." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was fun. Speaking of champions, uh, Dustin Johnson is the U.S. Open champion. Uh, we had a busy three things, so we didn't get to yeah. talk about the U.S. Open at all. And one thing I'll say just right off the top is Joe Buck and Fox did a million times better than the first year. I don't know if you remember last year is the first year that. Fox had the golf, and it was just it was in this really ugly course in Seattle, and it was just a disaster. Mm, okay, they did a much better job, so good for them. I remember talking about. It. I don't remember what specifically was bad about it. But. So here's the interesting thing, too. So last year, Dustin Johnson almost won this thing, and then like put the ball all over okay. the 18th green, yeah, yeah, and blew it. So he's not in the last group. Going into the last days in the second last group. I think I know what you're going to say. And in the fifth hole, he goes to line up a putt, and the ball moves, and he immediately backs away, calls the rule official over. Rule official comes over, asks him if he was the one who moved the ball. He said no, and apparently the rule official tells him, okay, no penalty, finish it out. Okay. Six or seven holes later, a rule official stops him and tells him they've been watching tape and he might get a penalty. Okay. They don't tell him you are going to get a penalty or you're not going to get a penalty. Suddenly, he might get a penalty. So he has to play the rest of the round. Thinking he might be. Not knowing if he's up one stroke or two strokes. Or three strokes, depending. That was basically about the margin hmm. through most of those last holes. He was up two, and if you were ever to give one of those strokes back to be up one, and they assess him the penalty, then sure. suddenly there's yeah, a playoff. Sure. Right. Uh, and eventually he gets to 18 and hits the shot of his life and puts it about three feet away from the cup and birdies 18 and gets himself to a point where he's far enough ahead that even if they assess the penalty, he'll still he'll win. He's still guaranteed to be the winner. And believe it or not, those bastards assessed him the penalty. Really? So did it was an it? absolute joke. I did witness it and wasn't sure what the rule was. My thought was, well, he has to actually move the ball for it to be his fault. Right? Like, if he's standing 20 feet away from the ball and the ball moves, he doesn't get a penalty for that. So what happened? He stepped on grass near the ball? or The the, the greens were incredibly soft, fast, oh, and okay, fast. sharp, and it was something bound to happen, sort of. Okay. Uh, and look at who am I to say, right? But Jack Nicholas is maybe a guy we could respect a little bit, sure. right? Sure. Oh, yeah. So do you want to hear what? Jack had to say about it. Sure. In my opinion, golf is a game of honor. That's what the USGA believes in, and what, and that's what most of the players all believe in. And when you have a situation where the official was there and said, did you cause it to move, and he says no, 
then that should be the end of story. How is he supposed to know what caused it to move? You got greens out there with spike marks and pitches. The ball can move at any time. So shame on you, USGA. First of all, <laughs> you created a completely weirdly anticlimactic situation where you never exactly knew what the score was. Yeah. You didn't know what he was up. The guy chasing him didn't know what he was up. He didn't know what he was up. And yeah, that's is, the weirdest part of the whole thing. How, th- th- how this do is, they wait? This is your open championship. This is your weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, and now this is two years in a row where we're talking about something besides who won it. And it's just – it reminds me of – and this is maybe a cliche analogy, but I just sort of pictured all the guys who run the USGA in one car <laughs> and, like, all of them climbing out in clown outfits or something to assess this penalty. It, it just blows my mind, too, that they actually called it a penalty. Uh, there's an article on golf.com written by Gary Van Sickle, and it starts with, how did the United States Golf Association get it so horribly wrong on its biggest stage? <laughs> That's the lead. Yeah. That's the lead of this column about the U.S. Open. Uh, just ridiculous that they assessed the penalty. I felt bad for Dustin. Uh, but in the end, really, he's the U.S. Open champion. He's still engaged to Paulina Gretzky. <laughs> and uh, he can finally put to rest the nightmare from last year. trumpet come on and spill some paint let's raise a glass of milk to the end of another day and to the kiss that's still intangible and the kids are all right just unmanageable they won't do a damn thing you say 